This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Well, the big story we've been talking about is the new head coach of your Seattle Seahawks, Mike McDonald. We had a chance to speak to the man that gave him his very first coaching opportunity at the high school level. And now we get a chance to speak to a man who saw him coaching at the college level. He's been a guest with us before. He's with us once again on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is the host and play-by-play broadcaster on the Georgia Bulldogs Radio Network. Jeff Dantzler is with us. Jeff, how are you, sir? Uh, great. Good to be back on with you guys again. Pretty amazing story uh, with a young uh, uh, new head coach of the Seattle Seahawks following Pete Carroll. Uh, t- talk about a meteoric rise. It really is an amazing story. Yeah, we we are fired up out here. Everybody excited about the potential is certainly seeing what he did with the Baltimore Ravens. But let's let's talk about what you saw back in the day when he was out there on that, that Bulldogs coaching staff. Was he somebody... First of all, I don't know how much interaction you have with coaches and everything in your job, but was he somebody you had the chance to interact with? And if you did, what were your impressions back then? I mean, not really. He, he came up as, as a student assistant coach. and It's one of those where you're kind of at the bottom, one of those analyst roles you hear about. I thought it was impressive. He actually coached at a local high school here in Athens called Cedar Shoals. Uh, coach Rick, Mark Riggs, the Hall of Fame coach, really liked him and, again, had him on the staff as basically a graduate assistant. And then he went to go work for John Harbaugh as an intern and climbed the ranks there. And, and again, I think that's really where his career started taking off. And another twist to all this, then with the Harbaugh connection, Mike became the defensive coordinator at Michigan and Georgia beat Michigan with him as a defensive coordinator in the Orange Bowl in 2021 en route to the national championship game. And then uh, older brother Harbaugh took him back from younger brother Harbaugh, and now <laughs> here he is as the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. It's amazing. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, at that time, it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, when you, when you have one of these jobs where you start out, you're not communicating a, a whole bunch. You know, a lot of it is just the work that you're doing and you're, you're feeding it to the coaches and things like that. But as far as his, you know, because we talked about one thing, X's and O's guy, but a com- can the guy communicate? Tell us, you know, the, the times that you've heard from him or things about him. Um, how adept is he in that category? Well, I think it's obviously very strong there for him to move up that quickly. And I I think it says so much, too, for him to have the kind of success, particularly at the pro ranks, for someone, uh, to quote Howard Cosell, who never played the game. Uh, (laughs) When you're you're trying to get this this point across, let's just say when he was working with the secondary of the Ravens, that this is what you need to do. Here's how we're going to play this. You obviously have to be, A, very smart. You have to be, B, able to communicate what you want to do in an easy-to-decipher way. And then, C, those players have to respect and understand that message that you're getting across. And and I think for, for a younger coach, that's got to be a huge challenge, again, especially for somebody who, who didn't play uh, in, in major college football, much less in the NFL. But obviously – he has mastered that and just had an incredible, incredible track record. Was was he a guy that was talked about much out there in Georgia, just in terms of his football mind or anything like that? That's that stood out to people. 
Yeah, I mean, when, when, once he got with the Ravens, again, he, he was just basically a, a student coach there. I mean, okay. we, we ran through a stretch um, with uh, with Mark Richt, and then he got to be a graduate assistant. And just to give you an idea, uh, there's another, uh, I guess you would say, a contemporary of Mike's named Todd Hartley, who's now the tight ends coach at Georgia, who's Brock Bowers' coach, who did a great job. But he was just another one of those, those young guys when you first started seeing these college football staffs start to expand and uh, coaches, Nick Saban really started that getting those analyst roles. One of George's defense coordinators now, Glenn Schumann was an analyst for Nick Saban. And I think that opened the door for a lot of people who love the game, but might not have had the physical tools to play it at a really high level. But what those guys are doing, 99% of their work, it's behind the doors. It's behind the scenes. And you know how that goes. I mean, you play a game, let's just say the NFL, if Seattle's playing Baltimore, well, on that plane flight back, those coaches are looking at the film for the next game, and let's just say that's against the Rams. And Mike was one of those guys, and that's what those analysts do. They're breaking down that film. They're organizing everything and coming up with some intricacies. There's so much information out there. And I think for the really good young analysts who, who like Mike, have, have flown up the ranks, they've been able to pare that down and get the right data to the right coaches at the appropriate time because there's so much information out there. A lot of it can be noise, but but he has obviously mastered all of that. And Jeff, so a guy like that, you know, it how he pops, you know, gets noticed or whatever. Is it is it something over a long period of time for him that they were like, okay, every time this guy's doing something good, or is it he shut down a team or came up with something? Was it, you know, how how does somebody like that get noticed? I, I think it's it's all of that kind of run in run into one. And let's just give you an example here. Let, let's just say. I'll go back to college. Let's just say George is getting ready to play Florida. And he notices, you know, every time Florida wide receiver Joe Smith lines up in the slot on the left side, they run the football to the left side. That's mm-hmm. a type of area where you, you can get those tells and, and you can get some of that that information uh, that maybe the opposition didn't self-scout there. Or maybe you could see how a certain player lines up or certain player struggles or certain player strengths against other teams. And that's, again, where there's so much game planning that goes in with the technology that's available these days uh, that, you know, you used to always hear the term sophomore slump. Well, that that wasn't by mistake because you were a freshman or you were a rookie. Nobody had seen you. You go out and you do great. Then the scouting report gets out there. Well, now the scouting report's available for everybody after a game or two. So I think that's where, again, with a young coach like Mike, it's about getting that information together and just getting it where the data is usable. And, And to think about how quick he came up at Georgia and then to do it, you know, for, for two extraordinarily highly successful coaches and John Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh, mm-hmm. uh, and to put himself in this position at that age, I, I just think it's a remarkable story. And again, you're not talking about a guy like D'Amico Ryan's great coach. This guy was an all American at Alabama. I mean, everybody in the Southeastern conference, you know, we've known about D'Amico Ryan's for 20 years. <laughs> and then he goes on and has a remarkable career in the NFL. He's a great defensive coordinator. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, th- this is a guy that, you know, in Mike McDonald that, that was sitting there 
you know, at, at, at night, maybe some games didn't even travel when the team was on the road because you're, you're breaking down that opponent for next week and putting that film together. So somebody who really excelled behind the scenes and obviously impressed the right people uh, to move up the ladder at an extraordinarily remarkable pace. So it sounds like you don't have any doubts about his his readiness for this job, even though he he is only thirty six years old. He he will be the youngest coach in the head coach in the NFL. Well, I, he's going to know the X's and O's, uh, and I'm sure. I mean, if he's able to do as a coordinator, he'll be able to communicate with the team and do all that. I just think for any new head coach, there are just going to be a lot of things that go along with the job where you think you're prepared for it, but there's still going to be more things that, that hit you, whether it's more of the dealings with the front office, more dealings with the media, whatever it might be. I heard Bill Parcells once say when he got the job with the Giants, he said, I thought I was ready. I had a couple of coaches tell me, Listen, you think you're ready? It's going to be double that. And he said, then when I got the job with the Giants, it was double, even the double that they told me it was going to be. So I'm sure there's going to be a learning curve uh, for him. Uh, but but at the same time, a guy who's a, adapted and gone up through the ranks that quickly, I mean, to go from being – you thinking from being a student coach at the University of Georgia to a decade later being a head coach in the NFL – he obviously knows how to adapt and communicate. And I think above all else, that's the biggest key to success at the NFL level. I love this, Jeff. I, the The thought of him not traveling and sitting in a room while the team's on the road and trying to find a way to to defend or attack the next opponent is is pretty awesome. Um, when when I was in college, a thirty six year old coach looked like he was ancient, like he looked like my dad or something. But you know, now in the NFL, and I don't look. I think that players all they care about is that your coach is your coach what you want from him is to make me better you know whether it's right. you know communicate that to me that's all i care about and there's been some of this talk about how you know maybe he's you know more easily able to to uh, you know relate to some of the younger guys but i feel like in the nfl that it doesn't matter as long as he helps you become a better player it doesn't matter what what he looks like what his age is nothing no, I, I completely agree with that. And then I, I think football, all sports are copycat, but but I think the NFL more than anything is copycat. And you look at the success that, that the Rams have had, that the Dolphins have had uh, with, with coaches who look like they could be analysts or interns, you know, in their, in their 30s. I, I think it's a very good gamble here for Seattle. And, you know, then it just is going to come down to can they put together the roster, and I, I think Seattle did a good job. They obviously parted ways with Russell Wilson at the right time. I think Geno Smith's better than, than anybody anticipated, and th- they seem to be doing a good job drafting because I think when you look at, at, at the franchise there, and you guys know it way better than me, but they had some swings and misses on some first-round picks and, and, and let go of a couple of first-round drafting options, and I think it was a slow erosion from when they were the kings of the NFC for those back-to-back years. But but they certainly seem to be in a good rebuilding mode, going the right way up. And Pete Carroll's obviously a legend, one of the best to ever do it. And you know now they've got a, a young, energetic head coach, hopefully for Seahawks fans. He'll be kind of a, a version of Pete 2.0 from, say, 30 years ago. 
Hey Jeff, tell us. Uh, I know we talked. We talked to you once a year, whether whether we need it or not. But uh, you know, whether it's for the uh, the draft or whatever. And it seems like you know you're you're a good source of about half the draft with the uh, the Georgia Bulldogs. Tell us about some of the prospects that are coming into this draft from from last year's team. Well, I I gave you guys a good tip on Kenny McIntosh. Uh, you're you're, you're gonna, I think you're going to continue to love him. He he can run it and he can catch it. I, I think you know about the big names coming out of Georgia. Brock Bowers is a phenom. Lad McConkey is terrific. I, I think if you're looking at, it, at a, for another first-round pick, along with those names, uh, Kamari Lassiter is a tremendous cornerback who is physical. I, I think he's going to be a great, great NFL player. Uh, Georgia's got a center named Cedric Van Pran, academic All-American, who's a three-year starter. I think that's a player who could get snagged up in the second round, uh, who could be just one of those guys. You guys know how this is, just a lockdown interior offensive lineman that's going to be there 12, 15 years. And I'll give you a little diamond in the rough, too, who is basically Georgia's number two wide receiver and and number three pass catcher behind Bowers and and McConkie is Marcus Roseme Jack Saint. Guy made big plays, and he is, in my mind, the best blocking receiver Georgia's had since Heinz Ward play Nathan. So I think that's a type of guy that you could grab in, in that fifth, sixth round that could be one of those difference makers. What, what, how do you say his name again? It's a, it's a hyphenated name, Marcus Roseme Jack Saint. So that's, that's <laughs> I'll just say that that's a guy, Kettle. I mean, I, I think you got a steal with Kenny McIntosh in the seventh round. That could be the type of guy that maybe you get on, on that last day that makes your roster who can catch it, he can block it, and who will be a great player on special teams. Good stuff. Jeff, we really appreciate you taking the time with us once again. Thanks so much, and I'm sure we'll we'll talk again down the road. Anytime. Always love talking draft and football with you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. There you go. Jeff Dantzler, host and play-by-play broadcaster on the Georgia Bulldogs radio network, giving us some diamonds in the rough there. Big Kenny McIntosh guy. I would like to see him get a shot here. Maybe well, he'll – they, they drafted him. They just didn't play him. Yeah, that was a weird one. Maybe he'll get some opportunity with Mike McDonald there. We'll see. Yeah, we'll I see. hope so. I hope that's something we, we sort of shift to is maybe it's painful sometimes throwing a rookie out there, but I don't know. I feel like uh, the coaching staff got him ready. It just didn't trust him. And that's – look, that as a coach, and you, you could ask Mike McDonald this, if you don't trust somebody, then there's no way you're going to put him on the field because that just – that reflects poorly on you as, as coaches. And yeah. You know, and that's the first question that the head coach comes, why'd you put that guy in there? Well, I thought he was ready. Sorry, guess he's too young. That, that, <laughs> guess I was wrong. Yeah, that's a that's a check mark against you. So, I, yeah. I, you know, just being safe. But I don't know. I, I felt like early on we played rookies, and I keep bringing up the fact that KJ wasn't even a middle linebacker, and he started at middle linebacker his first game as a rookie. So that's kind of, I don't know, it just seemed like that was a mindset that I would like to see them get back to. So if you're in that locker room and you're you're playing linebacker for the Seahawks and they make this hire, are you excited and thinking we got a defensive mind? Look at what the what look what the Ravens did. I love how they played or I look look at their system. Is that something you're looking at going, I can't wait? Oh yeah. Absolutely, yeah. especially I mean over the last couple of years of you know, and look, this is this is going to be somewhat harsh, I guess, on on Clint Hurt, who I think is an awesome dude and he I think did Clint get hired? Um, I think him and uh, was it him and Carl Scott went to Philly? Was it or where was? Yeah, that? Clint uh, Clint Hurd official. I think 
defensive line coach, right? Still waiting on Carl Scott. Yeah, DL coach now in Philly. Yeah, I'm curious if maybe, maybe if Carl Scott's still waiting, maybe they they get a chance to to keep him. But and yeah. it wasn't just him. I mean, they had trouble with Ken Norton when he was the defensive coordinator, and you go back to Richard. So certainly yeah. not on a. Wasn't just Clint that had issues with his defense. Yeah, no, and so you know, I I just think he's going to make it simple. Uh, he's going to make it so I can run around and fly around. I mean, you saw how they're, and it doesn't matter what scheme. If you just watch the Baltimore defense play, they just they operate at a different level. I mean, go back and watch where we just got hammered by them. I mean, they were just all over them. So and there that wasn't some, a very competitive game, Dave. No, it was terrible, man. <laughs> it was an awful day. Yeah, it was really bad. What for was the final? Pretty pretty much every, seven to seven three. three. Yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, they were just flying around the field, and our defense did not look that way. And I, I think you know, the more I think about it, the more I think about how much our defense underperformed. You know, and I with with Reek Woolen, you know, and I, I know that everybody says, look. Sometimes a guy flashes his rookie year and then everybody kind of gets his game and they figure him out and stuff like that. I'm just wondering if Reek Woolen, he might be a guy that just goes, thank God, okay, I only have to do a couple of things. I don't have to think. I could just use my athletic ability. We know he has that. Yeah, He, He ran a ridiculously low 40. He's got long arms and legs. Why? Why did he have such a bad year? I don't think anybody figured him out. I just think that he... He just didn't. It didn't make sense to him, and he was thinking too much. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think as a defender, you're you're just as excited as can be. Yeah, he he, along with many many others, seemed to have an issue with tackling. There seemed to be a problem there. We saw him kind of, I don't know, what you kind of peel off a play that he could have made, and maybe throw a shoulder rather than wrap a guy up. And yeah. but that seems sort of endemic through the whole league the guys are you know see him try to lay a hit on somebody and then the guy bounces off and keeps running meanwhile the defender's on the ground you know so it's just it's frustrating to watch and we'll we'll you know that's what i'm most excited to see now offensively this will be interesting just to see how he approaches the offense who he wants to bring in if he's got something very specific in mind if I don't know. Does he does he have a big? We've talked about the Geno situation before. That he's got the deadline, the February sixteenth deadline coming up. I think you and I are are in agreement that he's going to be here. I don't. I I mean that's the assumption, but who knows? You have got a new guy. He might have a totally different vision. Uh, but Brady Henderson was talking about this being you know the first big decision for the new head coach, whoever that was going to be. Now we know it's Mike McDonald. That first decision is going to be on Geno, just because the way his contract is structured and his base salary for next season twelve point seven million dollars. That's the base salary, which would become fully guaranteed. If he's still on the roster on February 16th, that's, you know, five days after the Super Bowl. And that was a month from yesterday. And so those kind of trigger dates basically act as deadlines for teams to make a decision on a guy because they're not going to keep him on the roster past February 16th, have his $12.7 million base salary, which is about half of what he's scheduled to make next season. They're not going to have that become fully guaranteed and then move on from him. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Maybe John went into those meetings with all those guys saying this is our quarterback. You know, do you guys have any problems with that? Or I don't, I don't know. Feels like John would have more say in that particular decision than somebody who's just getting here and we're a couple of weeks out from that deadline. Well, and maybe that's that's a part of it where you know Mike McDonald comes in here and I I don't know I think Gino that might have been his worst game. 
against oh, against the Ravens. Against yeah. the Ravens, it was the team's worst game. That was well, just a and bad I, I didn't day. think I was much like like, uh, and I know there was some argument about it, but there was, you know, Pete said afterwards he didn't think that that was a Geno thing, and I didn't either. I just thought that he didn't have any opportunities whatsoever. But maybe from looking at him on film. He comes in here, Mike McDonald, that is, and says, love Gino. Always have. Good decision maker. You know, and it's kind of funny. Again, <laughs> I did this and roll the tape yesterday, but when Kerry Joseph gets hired with uh, with the Chicago Bears, they do a whole blurb on his bio now that he's there. And little, not very many people knew that he was the assistant quarterback coach, but it you know, it's we it, didn't know it. It's a, I know, and it's I saw him, and I'm like, he's a DB. I, he must be working in the defensive backfield. Yes. I didn't know. So, um, but yeah, somehow he and and it's written up. He helped veteran quarterback Geno Smith resurrect his career. You know, the past two seasons, Smith has thrown for 7,950 touchdowns, 67. You know, just building it up, and so, you know. Uh, Sometimes people from uh, other places, they see something that you don't see when mm-hmm. you're sitting there with a guy for two, three, four years and somebody else sees something different in him. And I like to think that with Mike McDonald, it's not just about defensive players. It's about every player. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun, man. Very, very fired up for this. All right, coming up, the McDonald hire opens up a new avenue of possibilities for the Seahawks team this offseason. We're going to get into some of that coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Jeff Dantzler, host and play-by-play man on the uh, Georgia Bulldogs radio network. He was our guest in the previous segment, in case you guys are just tuning in. We've been talking uh, pretty much exclusively about new head coach of your Seattle Seahawks, Mike McDonald, and getting some background on him. And one of the things we were we were set to talk about today, Dave, is uh, ESPN put out a list of top 50 free agents, a uh, list that you'd given to me that you'd gone through, and, and there are some Ravens on there, some Ravens players that – would be of interest. That would that would certainly be of interest to me. And you, you got to wonder if there's a level of influence like, hey, that's our guy. Mike McDonald's our guy, and I'm a free agent. And Seattle looks like a fun spot to be with a new head coach who's very familiar. We know what he's about. We know, you know, what kind of a man he is. And, you know, one of them is uh, you You and I went through during the playoffs, you know, all right, who's, who's somebody from each roster we think is going to, you know, pop. Not the obvious quarterbacks, not the superstars, and one of them was was a defensive tackle, Justin uh, Matabuike, and he's got I think what twelve and a half sacks this year, and just looks like a problem on the interior right now. Leonard Williams is a free agent. You technically have a spot to fill there if it's not going to be him. I certainly wouldn't mind him, and I know you certainly wouldn't mind seeing Patrick Queen, who's a linebacker on that team, uh, who's also a free agent. Yeah, well, you look at Matabuike; he really popped. This yeah. year, I mean, is it twelve and a half? He had he had eight and a half sacks in three years, and then he got thirteen sacks. Thirteen, okay. I mean, from the inside position, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's up there with Chris Jones, probably Aaron Donald. I mean, those are some of the. What's he listed? Do you better. have his page? His uh, measure measurables? Yeah, so he is six three, three hundred five pounds. Okay, so. Yeah, I mean, I I like 
I like him. Um, I I like Patrick Queen, and the reason why is you know typically linebacker knows coverage, he knows the fronts, he knows the run defense, and you know, and I don't know if he's the kind of guy you want leading your defense or not. But I think it would be interesting if uh, if you did get him over here as a free agent because I think it would be easy number one for anybody on defense to follow Mike McDonald, but then also I, you'd have the number I think it's number twenty seven and number twenty eight picks. Uh, lining up at linebacker next to each other uh, from the 2020 draft. Yeah, that would be that would be pretty cool. And I think, you know, with uh, with Patrick Queen's playmaking ability, and then you know the, the other thing interesting to me now. This is all speculating because speculative because Jordan Brooks. We don't know if he's going to be healthy or if they're going to resign him. But I feel like that would be a pretty good sort of one-two punch at linebacker because you know, look, uh, Jordan Brooks is one of those guys that. All during all of this buffoonery that was going on, especially in the run game over the last couple of years, I didn't see anything. I mean, there were maybe a couple of times where I thought he was responsible, but Jordan Brooks, like I've always said, he he always does right. And then you get a guy next to him like Patrick Queen who can just fly around and make plays, and he knows the defense and all that. I mean, I, I feel like that one would be a pretty natural. I don't know if that, that's what they want to do, but they sure need linebackers. Well, and, and how, how helpful would it be to have – a, the talent, certainly, that trumps everything. But to have somebody that knows the lingo, that knows the system, hey, guys, right. this means this. This means, and Maybe it's not going to be that complex and it won't be much of a learning curve to begin with. But if it is, how much does that help to have somebody who's a prominent player that's played in it that can explain to yeah. you know his teammates in, in, in his position group, oh, he mean, this is what it means when they call this and this is how we do this. and yeah, yeah, and it's all about terminology. You just read some nonsense off the internet where people could have been making up things. I don't know what I read. Or they, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it was a bunch of football lingo, and I don't know if Richard Sherman was just messing with the guy because he has a, an answer that has a whole bunch of more lingo, <laughs> yeah. which I think he is messing with the guy. I was asking Dave to decipher, like you know, he speaks Spanish and I don't. So can you tell me what this yeah. means? But it's but it's football lingo yeah. that I haven't heard. I hadn't either. It, I think it was made up, and I think Sherm made it up too. But if they're speaking the same language, then fine. Maybe they, you know, maybe they're on the same team together. I, I think it takes like three or four days of full practices before you get pretty, you know, the mo- the bulk of it down. It's it's typically not too big of a departure. I, you know, I've always told the story about how when when the backs were split, you know, it's like they were on either side of the quarterback. They were split. We called it split backs. Isn't that wild? What? And when I went to Denver, they called it orange. I'm like, why? (laughs) Why? The eye backs, they they line up one behind the other because it looks like an eye. Yeah. They called it blue. You know, it's just, yeah, I don't know why. Was it to eliminate one word? It was brevity? Like, we eye back, split back. We just want one word. Orange, blue. Yeah, maybe I don't it was know. too what, many words. What would be the motivation for that? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. But I adapted, obviously. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, we got to do things my way, guys, or else I'll never remember. Um, no, you. but you get that down in like three or four days. So that part of it I don't think is particularly daunting for a new coach to come in and guys to pick it up. But, yeah, I think I think it would be really interesting to see, uh, see if a couple of these guys, especially on defense where things are probably going to change pretty drastically, uh, to just – I don't want to say be like a coach on the field or anything like that, but just kind of help things along. What about, and we can get into the Seahawks needs and, and how it relates to these, you know, top 50 free agents out there, but just looking at the ones that the, the Ravens have coming up, they have a couple of guards. 
Looking at this old line, do you do you think it's a matter of, hey, it's young, they're going to be fine, or do you think, hey, you need a guard, you you you, Damian Lewis might not be it, and maybe you need a right tackle because maybe worst case scenario, Abe Lucas is not a seventeen game player. He's he's going to be a guy that is just going to miss time, and you need to have something that's that's there when he's not, or plan for the the day that you know worst case scenario he just can't go. Maybe you need a center. Maybe Olu Olu with Timmy is the guy. You know, I don't. How do you feel about the line? Because there are guards available. There are guards from from Baltimore. Certainly, I don't know if they're the the best of the available guards. But do you think that's something that needs to be addressed? Yeah, I I think so. I think you can always do that with um, with your uh, your offensive line. I mean, it's it's always you're looking for something to to add there. And you're right. I mean, I do worry about Abraham Lucas and his knee. Um, I don't know what to think about Damian Lewis. He, again, I, he's been one of the more confusing players to me because his first year he played really well. Next year, not well. And then it's kind of been just okay ever since then. And I I was listening to somebody the other day. I don't think it was Ray, but they were kind of raving about Damian Lewis a little bit and really liked him. So, mm. yeah, and, and the, the center position, we'll see You know what, what happens there. But... You can always use offensive linemen, always. And, you know, I don't, like I said, the, those interior three, like, you know, I I felt like there were some injuries there that happened. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know that they had the best five guys out there. And, you know, that that's that's a problem when you have that many guys rotating through there. So I, I just think that's one of those positions you can always, you can't have enough offensive linemen. Do you think the, the coaching hire, whether it was, it is Mike McDonald, but had it been Ben Johnson, would we be thinking, all right, 16th overall pick, assuming they don't trade, they're sitting right there, they're going to go offense because he's got an offensive mind. Now, does it change yeah. your opinion on what they might do because you've got a defensive mind coming in here? So maybe, yeah. Or maybe John just says, listen, we go with the best player. We're going to go through grade everybody. Maybe it's an offensive player. Maybe it's defense. It's going to be whoever the best player is. Yeah, and I, I think the big thing we would be talking about now, if Ben Johnson had been hired, would be Geno. That's all we'd be talking about is Geno Smith. And can he – and, you know, and I think the prospect would have been really exciting to think, can you turn – and I never thought I would hear myself say this. Can you turn him into Jared Goff? <laughs> <laughs> Save that tape. I got to say, man, it's it's been remarkable what he did. And, look, I, it's not like Jared Goff was just this awful quarterback. But, yeah, I mean, he – uh, he did some unusual things, and then you know he kind of fell out of favor with Sean McVay, and somehow Ben Johnson was able to bring him back. And, Which is more impressive, him. what what Johnson did with with Goff, or what McDonald did with Jadavian Clowney? Because I would argue it's Clowney if yeah. you just look at. I mean, Goff got to a Super Bowl. You could you can talk about what he did after that and everything, but he got to a Super Bowl with the Rams. Clowney had that one big year, nine and a half sacks, his best year ever with the Texans, and then you look at every. Pr- year after that and I thought we both agreed he played well with the Seahawks especially against the run but he didn't put up those sack numbers and now you look at him he's an older player this is not a guy who's in his physical prime I don't know that anybody was busting the door down for his services he goes to the Ravens and turns in arguably his most productive year as a pro to me I lean toward McDonald not because he's the new head coach I just think that reclamation project was yeah was a a bigger turnaround than maybe Goff was. Mm, I don't know. I got to go with Goff. I R- mean, really? Uh, well, I I thought Clowney Clowney actually played really well the one year in Cleveland, 
and that was between the time he had been here and now. Uh, he had nine sacks, and I just remember hearing about him, knocked down a couple passes, forced fumbles, and I think he played really well against in, in Cleveland, but we hadn't heard his name for a couple of years, and the fact that you know he's having his best year is encouraging. So maybe, you know, I still think it's golf, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's another guy. You think he'd have won a second stint here back in Seattle if they could get the the right? Because um, after all these years that he's been in the league, what is it, seven, eight, nine, ten years? I mean, two of the best seasons he had. One of them is with this coach, Mike yeah. McDonald. I'd certainly take a look at him if it's the right price. Why not? If it's the right price, you get him in here. Certainly. Certainly. All right, coming up, a Ravens Pro Bowler has very high praise for what the Seahawks are getting in Mike McDonald. You're going to hear that about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on 710. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial. Every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. Well, Pro Bowl practice is currently happening. I know Dave is uh, thrilled by that news. So we got a couple of guys that were down there, Kyle Hamilton and Julian Love. And first up, uh, Kyle Hamilton. Now, these happened before the Mike McDonald news happened. So uh, Kyle Hamilton, you know, kind of assumed that Mike McDonald would leave. He was asked on NFL Network uh, what he thought uh, about Mike McDonald. Yeah, he's super cerebral, really smart guy, probably the smartest guy in the building. Um, don't tell him I said that, but, uh, you know, he's going to get everybody in the right spots, use everybody's best abilities, and um, really just conforms to what we do best as a defense and as a team. And um, Great motivator. Uh, he lets the guys lead the room. It's just a bunch of great qualities for him, and whatever is coming in his future, he deserves it. That's cool to hear. Do you, did you ever have in your time in the league a coordinator, coach, somebody that you really thought highly of that got hired away? Hmm, good question. Ordering on great, great question. Baltimore's deep. Yeah, that, whoa, whoa, that's whoa. it. That's the answer right there. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, I mean, because I, I, I would think you'd be torn. Like, hey, you love the guy, great coach. You want him to take that next step and succeed, and you're pulling for him. But it, selfishly, you're like, I don't want him to go anywhere. I hope he yeah. stays. Yeah, that. Well, that was actually Tom Catlin, and you know he never did go anywhere. So that was that was easy enough for him. So your wish came me. true. Yeah, but you know what? It's funny when I went to Denver, there was a, a really old school um, coach, and his name was John Paul, and uh, he he was very at, at first I I couldn't stand him, and then as the year went on, it was it got better and better, and he treated me like a a, a veteran. And, you know, he would he'd say, coach me up here, Dave. And I'd tell him exactly what I did wrong. And he's like, yep. So that was that was one guy that I – and he actually did end up getting fired with uh, Wade Phillips' staff. So I guess him. But, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is a guy for a guy like Cam, Kyle Hamilton who's being interviewed there. He's probably going, damn, I wonder what we're going to get next. Sweeping the dial. So, yeah, I had to mention that this is all before the Mike McDonald news because Julian Love was also being interviewed. And first of all, he was asked kind of how he found out what he was feeling when he found out that Pete Carroll got let go. And then what he thinks will happen uh, with the Seahawks next head coach. I was a little shocked, like uh, the rest of the football world, uh, a little bit bummed because I only got his one year to you know play under him. I really enjoyed his personality, everything he brought to the game, uh, his defensive mindset. Uh, and so, yeah, I know they're going to get somebody good going forward. Uh, I wish I could have had, you know, Coach Carroll a little longer, but it's all good. 
I guess, how do you move forward with a new identity? I know so much of him was built in that team, but what has been the early talks between guys in the locker room of what that next step of Seahawks football looks like? Yeah, I think we just want to keep the culture. I think the Seahawks brand has a certain culture to it. Everybody thinks about Seattle Seahawks. They think about, you know, that swag, the energy, that, that culture. And obviously, Coach Carroll is a huge part of that. But now it's instilled in the staff, the players, everybody involved. Uh, and so, you know, looking forward, we're excited to see who comes in and just carry this torch forward. Hmm. I would think they're, they're you know, Julian or anybody that's maybe not familiar or whatever is looking at that Ravens defense kind of licking their chops. Well, this is this could be good. Yeah, well, I think Julian Love, the part about, and I think you heard it from Kyle Hamilton, that he gets everybody in the right spot mm-hmm. because, look, one of the reasons why Julian Love came on at the end of the year is because he was playing a significant amount more. You know, in the, in the early parts, he was 60-70% early parts of the season. And he didn't really pop before that, right? Because you and I really. talked like, hey, what did you see out of Julian? Eh, not, how much was he on the field? And There was so- a couple three times where this is my dad says couple three couple, couple three, three. Uh, a couple three times <laughs> I remember sounds like the, a few in the cleveland game um and i do remember in the baltimore game a couple of times where like he looked like witherspoon like all of a sudden he was just flying around and i feel like that's who he is and the rest of the time there was a lot that you know it, it just like everybody else he looked like he was just thinking so i think this is going to be i think this is going to be a great opportunity for him um, and I would say the same thing about Jamal Adams if he were healthy. But, you know, and I, I would love to see what they would do with Jamal Adams, but I don't I don't think he's going to make it based on what we've heard about that thigh. Sweeping the dial. So every Wednesday, new episodes of New Heights come out with uh, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey. There's been a, a lot to talk about, including uh, this past Sunday when Ravens kicker Dave Wyman's guy justin tucker you know, kickers running their mouths so, his name yeah just yeah i had to say his name to remind you justin tucker you might have seen the clip you know he had his tee and his helmet kind of in the way so travis kelsey uh, addressed that pregame incident now specialists because of like the win factor and yeah, they go to where both you sides are, they get they get a chance to kick at, at both field goals and kind of punt from both sides of the field if you're trying to go onto the other team's designated area you kind of stay out of their way. You don't interfere with what they have going on. If you want to be a about it, you keep your helmet and your football and your kicking tee right where the quarterbacks are warming up and they're dropping. Eyes are looking left and they got a, a helmet down by their feet. It's actually kind of dangerous, really. But Like, if you're not going to pick that up, I'll happily move that for you. which he did if you've seen the video and you know i get that they have to warm up but uh, why does he have his tee on the goal line you're not kicking from the goal line he had it right there on the edge of the end zone so he he, and i don't know if you saw the video of tucker explaining it like oh it was all kind of good natured he he seemed like he was he knew he was trying to poke the bears jason or travis later said in the podcast like hey you got what you wanted i don't I, I can be the bad guy if you want me to, and and but it didn't make sense when you look at it going, okay, he's warming up, but why is this tee set up basically in the end zone? That makes no sense in the middle of their... <laughs> no, that didn't didn't make sense, and I, I see that happen all the time. Uh, we Rabel and I always walk down on the field, and you see when the kickers are, are warming up, and every yeah. once in a while, I mean, they're mostly very courteous about it. Nobody is trying to be a jerk about it that Except I've seen. Except for Tucker. 
Yeah, so he's he's a little froggy, right? He is. For a he, kicker. Was, he was a smack talker last year. Remember, then... he was the one making fun of Russell Wilson. Yep. And I'm like, what's a kicker doing that for? Um, he's that guy. And then I think he had a rough year this year, did he not? Like 50-plus was not what he normally is. He's usually the standard by which yeah. all other kickers are measured. And I think, I think he missed bit... like two, maybe. No, yeah, I think honestly, it was more than that. honestly, it was like he was like um, – he missed like four or five, uh, but he has the highest field goal percentage in NFL history, right? Right. So, yeah, he's good. No question about it, but let's not let it go to your head now. Yeah, it doesn't mean he can't be a punk, which is sounds like he yeah. was doing that. I just, as I was watching the video, I thought it was funny because you see Mahomes take a stand and chuck it, and then he goes and gets brings it back, and then Kelsey takes his helmet and the stand and chucks it, and then I, it, it kicks in like, why is this stuff right there on the goal line at Mm-hmm. The edge of the end zone where, you know, they're running, the Chiefs are running all their drills. That makes no sense whatsoever. Where's he, where's he kicking from? So he was, he was antagonizing. He was, he was trying to be that guy. Yeah. Well, and then you'd be like, oh, who, they're going to beat me up. I'm just the kicker. Yeah. Well, stop being a jerk. Who was the, who was the punter for the Rams? Was it Hecker? When he did something and Cliff Averill, like Cliff flinched at him. And he just kind of <laughs> fell down. <laughs> Remember that? That was maybe the best thing Cl- uh, Cliff did, and I'm, that's saying a lot. Yeah, he, he ran up there, and he kind of gave him like he was going to hit, and the guy just, like, folded, like, yeah. oh, please don't hit me. Yeah, that was very funny. Uh, All right, sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Well, a long wait pays off in a big way, and there's one area where the Seahawks should take a massive leap forward under Mike McDonald. We'll talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.